Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Know that I was really, really sick not too long ago. As a matter of fact, we were so sick that I actually thought what we had had to have been, if not some strand of COVID-19, something worse than COVID-19. The symptoms were of such that I was so sick that there, that there was at one point when it got its worst that I coughed profusely, uncontrollably, so hard that I blacked out twice in one day. And I'm this kind of guy that when I look at other people that are doing what I'm about to describe to you, I get annoyed. When I see people that are really, really sick and don't go to the doctor, I usually look at them and go, what's wrong with them? Why don't they just go to the doctor? I tried every natural home remedy that one can do. I took all the, the teas and, you know, took the, the pain reliever, over-the-counter medication and, and all of that stuff, right? And the, the relief was minimal. It wasn't going away. And finally, bless their hearts, first, Pastor Vinny said, hey, CJ, I think you need to go to outpatient. I think you need to go see the doctor. And what did I do? Did I go? Uh, no, 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 no. I did not go. I was really, really sick. By the way, this entire time I'm still working, even though I'm from home. I didn't want to get anybody else sick, but I'm basically at home trying to continue the same pace that I was at prior. And then someone else spoke to me. It was our head elder. It was Anita Job. And she said, CJ, she must have been in consultation with Pastor Vinny. You need to go to the doctor, Pastor CJ. Did I go? No, 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 I didn't go. It wasn't for another 24 hours when I was at my worst that I said, you know, um, I think I need to try that doctor thing. And I, you know, again, suspecting that this was some strand of COVID, we took the COVID test. We had the home test. We went to the outpatient, did all those tests, discovered it was negative every single time. At least four times I took the test. It was negative. Could not understand what in the world is going on with Pastor CJ, right? Struggling, literally suffering, right? In pain, all kinds of stuff. I've got to go to all of it. I was really, really sick. My wife's a witness. But what I do want to describe to you, and this is my main thrust here. I want you to focus in with me now for a moment. The main thing that happened got my attention. You see, what happened is that there was one night where I was so sick, I could not work, I could not take care of the kids, the lights were bothering me, all my senses were at a, a high kind of like, you know, turn off the, the, the lights, close the blind. I got myself to the point where I was in a dark room, in our bedroom, all the lights off, no sound, laying on my back, looking up at the ceiling and calling on the name of Jesus which is what we should do whenever we're feeling sick, right? It's calling on the name of Jesus. And after I got through talking with him, it's as if in my mind's eye and in my preacher's ear, I could hear him saying to me, to my heart, okay, now that you're done talking, I'm glad that you, you know, communicated with me. Um, now, can I speak to you now? And I had, in that little space of time, probably for the next 24 hours, several what some people call come-to-Jesus moments. Have you been there? Crystal clarity about life. Not a whole lot of distraction. A lot of time to think and reflect. Yes, Mike? 
And God began to reveal to me that there was a lot of imbalance in my life. There was a workaholism. Again, I'm the kind of person, I look at other people, they're, they're kind of overworking, right? And I get annoyed when they don't go to the doctor, they don't take care of themselves. Hey, they need self-care, right? And I found myself laying there trying to figure out what does self-care really practically look like for me? What really are my hobbies? How much time am I really investing in my time with Jesus? Which I, I do have a, a, a relationship and a devotional life with Jesus. But I got to tell you that I was getting so busy. I was getting stretched so thin that, that the quality of that experience was not what it was. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I had to sit there and go, you know what, God, there's some things that need to change. Would you help me? Would you show me exactly where those changes need to happen and give me the power to sustain those changes? If I could, if I could sum up this experience of being alone with Jesus and finally being in a position to actually listen to Jesus, I would sum it up in one word. It's in your bulletin. I felt arrested. You know what I'm talking about? You have the right to remain what? Silent. And sometimes there's too much noise in our lives, too much clutter in our lives, and we need to get to a place where we are silent with Jesus and allow him to speak to our hearts. And so we shift gears now and we go back to the first century A.D. And there is a young man who people are placing their clothes at his feet as they're getting ready to commit the first martyrdom of Stephen, who was proclaiming the gospel with power to the point that they had hardened their hearts to the point that they said, we would rather commit murder than receive Messiah. And Saul's name at the time, Saul, his Jewish name, is there, and he is consenting to the death of this innocent man. But I want you to know something, if you ever read that story in Acts chapter 7, two chapters prior to where we're going to be today. If you ever pay close attention to the story there of Stephen and how he dies, he dies in a way that should remind you of Jesus' death. As he's dying, he says, do not lay this sin upon their charge. Does that remind you of someone else? Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a lot of similarities between how Jesus died and how Stephen died. And this never left the mind of Saul. It sat on his conscience. The Bible then goes on to record that shortly thereafter, the stoning of Stephen, 34 AD, a persecution broke out in Jerusalem against the church. Paul, the Bible says, was wreaking havoc, going house to house, pulling out men, women, children, dragging them to court, bringing them before whatever judges were there, and by his own testimony, he had persecuted the church, even some of them, to the death. I want you to bear that in mind as we go through this, that there were people, not just Stephen, that died because of their faith in Jesus Messiah, and it was because of Paul. Eventually Paul, yeah? And then he goes to the high priest, and he gets permission to go to a foreign city about 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem to go and get the followers of Jesus that had scattered over to that city and many of the other surrounding cities, you know, Judea, broader Judea and Samaria. They also went up to Damascus. And he says, let me get a few men and we're going to go and we're going to get them from up there. We're going to extradite them, bring them back here for trial. And the Bible describes him now. You're with me now in Acts chapter 9. The Bible says that here Saul, still Saul at this point, is breathing out. Look how, look at the poetic Vivid imagery of this character we're being introduced to today. He's breathing out threats and murder against the church. 
who at this point was called the way. Because Jesus says he is the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through him. They're following Jesus. They're followers of the way, Jesus Messiah. And he's going to go to Damascus to arrest them. Are you hearing this? He's going to Damascus to arrest the followers of the way. I think some people are getting it already. And as he's on the way to Damascus to arrest the followers of the way, the Bible describes there, Acts chapter 9, 1 to 4, a bright light that shone from heaven. From where? From heaven begins now to penetrate in the direction of Saul and the men that were with him. And the light was so piercing. It was so bright. I don't know if he was walking or if he was riding on a donkey or a horse, but the Bible says he fell to the ground. I can imagine that that was not like falling on some cushion, right? I can imagine he bruised himself. That was uncomfortable. It may have been painful. He may have gotten some scars from falling to the ground. And as he's there on the ground, you have to pause and ask yourself this question. Why is it? Because if you are familiar with the story already, it's Jesus who's about to appear to Saul. I want you to hear the story today with new ears and eyes today. Why is an encounter with Jesus often preceded by pain? Why did I have to get to a point of being so sick that I finally could hear Jesus? <laughs> Undivided attention, yeah? <laughs> Why did I have to feel like I was arrested in the presence of God before I could hear him? Why do we often find ourselves in drama? in dysfunction, in mess, in a sense of our humanity and our need of divine grace before we finally listen and respond to Jesus. Why does an encounter, we've been on a series, Encounters with Jesus, why does an encounter with Jesus have to be so painful? Let me ask you a question. Does it have to be painful? Is there anybody in here that could testify to coming to a, a faith or a relationship with Jesus and it was just all a bed of roses? It was pleasant. Someone shared the gospel, you heard the gospel, maybe at home or somewhere else, and you just said, yes, I recognize myself. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And you received him and you continued with him. Anybody have that testimony? Or is it like me where the journey had all kind of bumps and highs and lows and I'm doing good one day, and then I fall flat on my face the next day, and I go, Lord Jesus, do something, please. Anybody have that kind of experience? Well, then you can identify with who we're going to be watching today. Saul, who later on, of course, we know, will be using his Greek name, Paul. And our question again today, I want, I want you to keep this question before your mind. Why does an encounter with Jesus often have to be preceded by pain. I mean, d d does God get any delight in our suffering? Somebody answer that question for me real quick. Does God get any delight from our suffering and pain? Yeah. No. So then why would an encounter with Jesus often for us have to be preceded by pain? If you have an ear to hear today, I want to invite you to come to the scriptures. I don't know if we're going to be able to get this up. Vinny, on the, if you want to look at this real quick on the screen. If we are, that would be great. But if not, that's all right. With your prayers and God's help, God's going to help me preach anyway. Amen? All right. Come with me now. Come with me now to verse number five. Are you there? Verse number five. Come on, talk back to me today. Verse number five, Acts chapter nine. Are you there? Somebody say amen. 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 Let's go. The Bible says, and he said, who are you? What? Lord. Thank you. Who are you, Lord? Let's go back just a few verses, actually. Watch this. When Jesus now reveals himself, often in, in, in scholarly circles, they'll call this a 
theophany. Are you hearing that? They'll call this a a theophany. When someone has an encounter with God and God gives them a divine revelation. I don't know if you guys can see that. There we go. And when God shows up, your minds may be going to like um, Moses at the burning bush. Yes? Yes? Um, When Jeremiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, the train of his robe fills the temple. Yes? When, when, When God reveals himself, often scholars will call that a theophany. Paul is having a theophany. And the voice that speaks to him from this bright light shining from heaven when he falls to the ground, ow, painful, says his name. Whoever this is knows who he is, his location and his name. He says Saul. And by the way, he says his name how many times? Twice. He says Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the way? Why are you persecuting the church? No. He says, Saul, Saul, which for emphasis means this is urgent. I know you. Listen, pay attention. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, because when you persecute my church, you're persecuting me. You're that linked and joined to Christ when you have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus feels your pain. He knows your suffering. So whatever pain you're going through, Jesus feels it, and he takes it personal. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this leads us now to his response. So he's hearing someone. Clearly, the light is coming from heaven. And that now brings us back to verse number five. Saul responds now to this question. Why are you persecuting me? Listen, remember, he has, and he's had for a while, even on his way to Damascus, the stoning of Stephen resting on his conscience. Remember that and how it resembled the crucifixion of Christ. And then he goes, listen to his next, his next words now. Who are you, Lord? I want to say that again to see if you catch it. Who are you, Lord? Are you hearing that? You see, in your Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord, most of the time it's in all caps. Are you familiar with that? And when you see it in all caps, that's actually a respectful way. The history there is the Jews, after coming out of exile, felt that the name of God was so sacred that they did not want to put it upon their lips. And so instead of saying the name that, in that divine theophany, God to Moses, God revealed himself as the, and I want you to pay attention to this, we're going to come back to this in a second, he revealed himself to Moses and then to Israel as the I am. Yes? And when you expand that, he also reveals his name, Yahweh. Everyone say, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's a very breathy, very breathy sound. Yahweh. And so the Jews did not want to take Yahweh on their lips. And so what they did was they said Adonai, or there's, it kind of went through several developments, like Jehovah. Yes? I'm summarizing a history here. And then eventually in our English, they just put Lord, which captured the meaning there when they wanted to put Adonai. Lord, the divine Lord. So Paul now, Saul at the time, he knows the light that caused him to fall to the ground, painful, ouch, came from where? It came from heaven. And so Lord here is not just a, you know, like, sir, which is sometimes... In the Greek, it can be translated as sir. It's not like sir to a human being here. The context lets us know, and what kind of comes next also further illustrates, that he knows that whoever is speaking to him that knows his location, knows his name, said it twice, has to be who? The Lord. But the Lord is revealing himself to Saul in a way that he was not expecting, in a way that he was not maybe ready to receive. And so he wants to get his name. I want to make sure I got the right person here. Who are you, 
Lord? And the Lord. Responds by saying, I am. And I wonder in my mind's eye again, did he pause on am? Are you hearing me? The one who responds says, I am Jesus. The one in whom you are persecuting. Wait a minute. I am just spoke to me. The light came from heaven. I just had Stephen stoned because he was proclaiming that the Lord, Yahweh, is this person from Galilee, a mere human being who at the, any Jewish leader at the time would have considered blasphemy. And wait a minute. He, light coming from heaven, is revealing himself. Yahweh is revealing himself as Jesus. Christ. Now I got to pause here. This is something that sometimes even for me can go. There is the pre-incarnate Christ before he comes in human flesh. We, what, the story we see in the Gospels. There is the story of the Gospels. Jesus, how we see him in human flesh and how he interacts. Right? I say this a lot. Children sitting on his lap, pulling his beard. You follow? Maybe he's growing up with his brothers and they give him a noogie to play with him. Hey, Jesus, goody two shoes, never getting in trouble. But, there is, but there's a difference between that Jesus and the risen Jesus. The glorified Christ. The Christ that when he shows up on Mount Patmos, on the Isle of Patmos, to John, John falls flat on his face like many in the Bible when they see a divine revelation of God. Or maybe even an angel sometimes. The risen Christ still has his human body. But he's glorified. The revelation of him with Saul is powerful. It brings Saul to his knees. And he says, I am Jesus, the one in whom you are persecuting. But here's the part that I don't want you to miss that literally changed my perspective of this entire story. You know what he says next, Jesus? He says, it's hard for you to kick against the what? The goads, or your, or your translation may say the pricks. Now, being raised in an Adventist Christian home, I don't know, this is just me, Vinny. When I was hearing kick against the pricks, you know what I thought about, Vinny? I said pricks, like little thorns, you know, some bushes. And is that painful? I would think so, right? You go and you're in a garden and you cut yourself up by some thorns, you would think that that's painful, uncomfortable. Why are you kicking against the pricks, yes? I did a little study, a little research, and maybe right now you want to, if you're that kind of person, want to Google this up. Look up goads, ancient goads or ox goads. The phrase that Jesus just used, why are you kicking against the, it's hard to kick against the pricks, is actually a, a Greek expression that also had a, a, a Jewish context in agricultural society. In other words, if you had some oxen, are you with me? And they were going, watch this, they were going in one direction. You're trying to guide them along, right, like as a shepherd. And you saw one going in the wrong direction then guess what you did? You got a long stick with a pointy iron sharp edge. And you would just goad <laughs> that oxen into the right direction. In other words, you would use a painful instrument, a painful experience to get that that, 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 that oxen whom you value to go from going in the wrong direction to go in the come on, talk back to me the right direction and now that's, that's if someone now is just applying enough pain to get them to go in the right direction but Jesus now says hey why are you kicking against the goats it's hard to kick against the goats Paul, you are causing this pain 
by your own doing. And to resist Christ, and listen, to resist the grace of Christ is painful, is dangerous. It causes you to fall to your knees. When you are sensing the Holy Spirit pressing upon your heart the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ and the grace He poured out for you at the cross and you resist that, your life can get messy. And He will permit you to kick against the goats. And so why is an encounter with Jesus often a painful experience? Why is it often preceded by pain? <laughs> it's often preceded by pain because that's what it takes for His grace to get through to your heart. Are you hearing that? Listen, there's high stakes for your soul. It was an expensive trip to come from heaven and go through all that that's in the four Gospels to redeem your soul. The blood of Jesus, and the, believe me, the Father was affected watching His Son and experiencing that on the cross, and the Spirit was, was affected by that too. All of heaven was I mean, bated breath watching this whole thing unfold because it had cosmic implications. So your soul, yes, there's us, but you personally, it costs God a lot. Like you matter a whole lot. And because of that, God will allow you to experience, I said allow, right? To experience pain. If that's what it takes to get you like CJ on your bed, looking up at the ceiling, calling out to God. Are you ready to listen out? Can we have the conversation, God says to you? Do you sense your need? Why are you kicking against the goals? Remember, sharp, pointy iron stick <laughs> that hurts and he didn't say he's the one jabbing him he said you're you are kicking against the goats how many of you are familiar with the story behind the song amazing grace we sing that hymn all the time yes just about every christian group denomination will sing that song at some point amazing grace do you know who the author of the song is? John Newton. John Newton. John Newton has a very interesting story. You really want to look that up, but I'll sum it for you. I'll sum it up for you. He came from a very broken home. Oh, a lot of dysfunction. And he found himself getting into the family business. Are you ready for this? The mid-Atlantic slave trade. He would actually go to the, to the west coast of Africa to, to actually capture other human beings and enslave them and profit from that. There was one time at sea. There was a terrible storm. It reminds me actually of some of the storm stories we see in the Gospels of Jesus and the disciples. It was so life-threatening. He was clinging onto the side of the boat. And all he could do was cry out, he didn't care who was watching him. He's the captain of the ship. He didn't care. God have mercy on me, he said. He describes himself and his experience as a wretched man at this time. Did horrible things to other human beings. But somehow God, in his mercy, saved his life. By the way, some of the people, some of the crew on his ship... Actually, because of the storm tossing the boat, actually about nine of them, I believe, fell overboard and drowned. But the remainder of them, including him, were spared. And he thought, certainly, I should have died that night. And he felt it would have been just. But because his life was spared, he went on a journey. First of all, the first thing he did, I didn't know this part, the first thing he did was that he dedicated now from then on that date every year as a day of prayer, fasting, and gratitude. He wanted to remember that God spared my life. And I did not deserve it. But the other thing is he began to study the Bible. He began to study um, Greek and Hebrew, the two of the three languages in the 
Bible, there's also Aramaic. And he began to discover something that is paramount in the story of the Bible. Guess what? The amazing grace of God. It's believed by many that the melody, the original melody for that song, Amazing Grace, actually came from the slaves on the ship. Humming. And he put lyrics to melody, and now we have a song that people sing. We're singing it for hundreds of years. And when you read now that song, the lyrics of that song with that backstory, you understand why this man who eventually lost his memory, this man who experienced all kind of things in his life said, you know what, at the end, towards the end of his life, you know what he said? His testimony about himself and a lot of the amazing grace of God for him. He says, there's one thing I know. I am a terrible sinner and Christ is an amazing Savior. Amen. Hallelujah! But he understood what it meant to kick against the goads. And God had to allow him to get in this life-threatening experience. And that's what it took for a slave owner to cry out for mercy. Did he deserve any of it? Not an ounce. Did he receive it, though? Yes, he did. John Newton would work the remainder of his life towards the abolition of slavery. And he influenced Wilbur, William Wilberforce, who eventually got slavery in England outlawed. And that had a trickle effect. And eventually, you see a lot of the other colonies and so forth eventually about ab uh, the abolitionist movement growing and then eventually the abolition of slavery in the United States, for instance. Because someone received grace while kicking against the goads. What do you think? Was, was on the mind of, of Saul as he's there before the resurrected Christ. I just had Stephen killed. I had men, women, and very likely children dragged out of their house, caused some of them by his own account to force them to reject Jesus and blaspheme. What was he expecting in that divine encounter? What was he expecting? Hearing in his own conscience the voice of Stephen crying out, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Father, do not hold this sin against them. What do you think he was expecting in that moment when Jesus said, Hey, why are you kicking against the goats? Your resistance to me and my grace is futile, Saul. What do you think he was expecting in that moment? You think he was expecting grace? You think he was expecting mercy? From the risen Christ, the king not only of Israel and the world, but the universe. He was expecting a fresh lightning bolt to come through the sky and wipe him off the planet. That's what he was expecting. And after Jesus says, hey, why are you kicking against the goats? Again, this is just my holy imagination here. I imagine there being a little pause between what we're about to read in verse 6. Because I, I think Saul is standing like, oh my, I've been persecuting. He says him. This is against him. Oh, 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 yeah. It, it's, it, it, I'm going to get nuked right now. It, it, it's over. And I could just see Jesus there maybe understanding what's been on his conscience. And I could just see Jesus there just... Allowing, just allowing that to sit just for a second. I want to tell you again, if you are resisting Jesus, put up the white flag. Throw it up. And you may hear this going, oh, if you're resisting Jesus, I received him as Lord and Savior, yes. But you may still be resisting Jesus if he's calling you to go in one direction and you're going in the other in your marriage, in your business pursuits, your, 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 any part of your life where you are resisting Jesus, maybe something he's trying to do through you and your ministry or whatever you're doing here for the Lord. Paul thought he was serving God by wiping out these Christians. Jesus prophesied about this to his disciples. They will actually think they're doing God, Yahweh's service, by killing you. And Saul is a fulfillment of that. 
you're resisting Jesus. You think you're doing the will of the Lord. You think you're doing right by God. But you sense that you're kicking against the goals. I, I beg you today, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Stop kicking against the goals. But now, again, he's expecting the lightning bolt. Does it come? Come with me now to verse number 6. What does the Bible say? Verse 6 of Acts chapter 9. So he, trembling. Are you feeling that? And trembling and astonished, said, what is it, what, does he call him Jesus yet? What, who does he call him? Lord. Ooh. Whew. Lord. And then look what he says next. What do you want me to do? Oh, Lord, got to help me in these last few minutes. Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, this is Jesus, but the Lord said to him, arise and go. By the way, if you read Acts chapter 8, previous chapter, that phrase, arise and go to Philip. Uh, arise and go comes repeatedly in the previous chapter. The same idea. You're being commissioned. <laughs> You've got a calling, Bill. Arise and go. Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do, i.e., some people from the church, I have some disciples of the way, the one that you came to arrest and have killed. I need you to go to them. They're going to disciple you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, I love this. I love this. You know why? Let me tell you why. He was, what does the Bible say? He was what? He was trembling and he was astonished. Why? He was expecting the lightning bolt. Remember, I said in my holy imagination, I think Jesus let a little pause kind of rest on Saul for a moment. And then I think it dawned on Saul, I'm still breathing. I'm still alive. When Yahweh revealed himself to Moses and he was showing him his glory and he asked him to reveal his glory to him and he, yes, hid him behind the cleft of the rock and he watched his back, but he declared the name of the Lord, the character of the Lord. One of the first things that God says about who he is, the Lord, the Lord gracious and long-suffering, compassionate. He's realizing this revelation of God now in Messiah Jesus means that he is full of grace. And the fact that he received the grace of God implies that I am saved, I am redeemed, I am given grace for something. Somebody hear that? I, I, I'm given grace not just so that I can have a woo-hoo-hoo, warm and fuzzy kumbaya experience. I'm given grace for something. Are you hearing that? Lord, he's talking to Jesus, the one he would have previously seen merely as a human being who had died a tragic death and people going around talking about he's alive, he called this one in human flesh but in a glorified state, Lord, what do you want me to what? To do. Why? Why does it have to be so painful, our encounters with Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because that's what it takes for him to lead you into your purpose. So for some of you listening to me right now, it is going to take being spiritually arrested by Jesus to get you into alignment with what he's wired you, called you to do. That's what it took for me. 2007 to 2008 is when I started to get, and I say this all the time, the salt and pepper up here. Why? Because everything in my life, when I thought I had arrived in life, I was in a different profession, I was starting to climb the corporate ladder, I thought, Bought a big house, just the two of us, not that. It's just me and my wife. Why do we need four bedrooms and three, you know, all, yeah, yeah, all that. That three and a half bathrooms and all this kind of stuff. Why do we need all that? Because I thought I had arrived. Why? I was not in alignment with the call and purpose of God in my life, and I knew that. I was doing a Jonah. I was running from the call that God had on my life. And I want to tell you, running from the call of God on your life is dangerous. It could be literally jeopardizing your actual health. <laughs> and your life. Just look at the story of Jonah. You may end up in the belly of a whale. I don't know. Belly of a fish. Okay? But God will allow you to experience those difficulties 
because he's trying to get you to do that. What, what would happen if we did not have Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles? Would, would, would we have a significant portion of the New Testament? No, we wouldn't. What would happen if there was no Paul surrendering to Jesus on this Damascus Road experience? Would there be all those churches popping up? Would we have the church of Corinth and Galatia? Would we have a, a, a huge influx of the Gentiles? Would the gospel have gotten to you maybe the same way if there was no Paul? Would there have been a Martin Luther and a lot of the stuff that happened during the Reformation in Europe if there was no Paul writing the letter of Romans and Galatians? What if it takes allowing you to experience some pain to provide a compelling story once you respond to the grace of God to those that hear your story? How compelling is it now when this high priest who gave the permission for Saul to go over to Damascus and actually arrest some of these followers of Jesus, how compelling is it the persecutor of the Christians has just become its loudest spokesperson? How compelling is the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ that it's so powerful that it could take someone, understand who Paul or Saul was at the time. He was a, the Osama bin Laden of his day. Are you hearing this? He, he, he was a terrorist. A zealous terrorist. A religious terrorist. Now about to become an international terrorist. Are you hearing this? And, and what does it say when someone like that who was fighting, he hears someone profess faith in Christ and he's, what did the Bible describe him as? Breathing out threats and murder. But now he's the one risking his life to proclaim the risen Christ. How powerful is that story? How powerful will your story be? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking to you about right now. When you finally hear the voice of Jesus and respond fully. It's the greatest adventure of your life. I would not be standing before you today with salt and pepper, yes, on my head, had I not said yes to Jesus. I am one of the most shy people you will meet. I don't like a lot of fluff and lights, camera action, and attention. I don't. I kind of like small group conversation. And he took someone that was pretty much told most of his young life, speak up, CJ, speak up. And now people are telling me, turn, tune, tune, tune it down, CJ, tune it down. Trust me, I did not willfully just get up one day and put myself here. <laughs> Some of us had to have Jesus allow us to kick against the goals before we finally said yes. What would happen if you finally said yes? What kind of kingdom difference would you make on this world. Last thing I want to say, go to verse number 7 as we wrap up. The Bible then goes on now and says in verse number 7, and the men who journeyed, I love this, journeyed with him stood what? Speechless. But watch this. Oh, I love this. And, and pay attention to the language being used here. Hearing a voice, they heard a voice that was talking to Saul. Hearing a voice, but seeing, seeing no one. Hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Pay attention to that. All right, here we go. Then Saul arose from the ground, watch this, and when his eyes were what? His eyes were what? When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Doesn't that sound like a paradox? When his eyes were opened, he too saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they led him by the hand. They led him, kind of like when you're handcuffed. Are you hearing me? They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I don't have time to go through all of the passages that illustrate what's happening here. But Paul is now in a time of basically prayer and fasting. He's wrestling with the encounter he just had. He's now hearing the implications of arise and go into the city, and then I'll tell you what you need to do. There's some purpose that he's about to discover. He's going through the stoning of Stephen, the parallel between the stoning of Stephen and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
how vehemently he was fighting against the risen Christ, all the hopes of Israel. This was an up-and-coming Pharisee about to be a leader in the Sanhedrin. He was a rising star in Judaism and zealous. And Paul, by his own account in Philippians, will say, look, all that stuff that in my past life, I counted as dung. I counted as a, you know what dung is, right? I counted as poop. All those degrees from Andrews University is what he's saying. I counted as, it, it, it amounts to nothing. That I might gain, that I might gain Christ. Everything in his life now was about Jesus, the one who had revealed himself to him at the Damascus Road. Oh, Lord, as I, as I close, why is it so painful, our encounters with Jesus often? Well, it's often painful because that's what it takes for him to become our sight going forward. Don't miss this. Often that's what it takes for Jesus to become your sight. We even sing songs about it. Be thou my vision. Yes? O Lord of my life. That's what it took. I don't want anybody to do this, but have you ever heard of something like this? Maybe studied it in a science book, or maybe did something like this when you were little. Have you ever tried to look a little bit towards the sun? What happens when you try to look at everything else now? What do you constantly see no matter where you look? You see the sun. Jesus wants you to have such an encounter with him that no matter where you look, grace. No matter what area of your life you're examining, no matter what direction you want to go in life, he wants you to only see the S-O-N. Paul got up from the ground, painful experience, opened his eyes, but saw nothing in a physical sense. But I want to tell you, Paul saw everything. Those three days gave Paul so much sight that he would then go on to spend another three years, as it says in Galatians chapter 1, in Arabia, actually, again, with Jesus Christ, who revealed himself again to him during that time. And he says it is Jesus who taught him the gospel. Go back over all those scriptures and see how they're all pointing to the revelation of Christ. To the point that Paul's ministry with Barnabas in Antioch, go read it in Acts chapter 11. They were always, no matter what verse they were talking about, scripture they were talking about, prophecy they were talking about, doctrine they were talking about, all of it was wrapped up in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. To the point that in Antioch, it was there that the followers of the way, Jesus, were then called Christians from then forward. Why? Because Jesus had become his vision. Jesus had become his vision. Has Jesus become your vision? Have you had an encounter with Jesus where you've received his grace? Where you've discovered what he's called and wired and anointed you to do? And after that encounter with the S-O-N son, he's all you see. When you think about how to raise your children, when you think about what profession to pursue, when you think of the environments that you do life in, all you think about is how can I reveal Jesus to those people, especially starting at home. Is Jesus your vision? When you read scripture or you're in your Sabbath school class or whatever you're doing devotionally, in the scriptures, is Jesus your vision when you read the Bible? Is he who you're looking for? Is he who's coming and emerging from the text? If not, then please forgive me. I pray you get arrested. I am praying that people listening to me right now will be arrested in the presence of Jesus like Paul. I am praying for you to have an experience where you're brought flat on your face and that is the only person that will offer you hope and grace and purpose and sight because that's what you need. I am praying for a radical encounter with Jesus for everybody under the sound of my voice in person or online because some of us need to get arrested. or else it's a 
fast-track ticket to somewhere that you don't want to go that Jesus never intended for you to go. And you don't have to get there like Lake of Fire. You can be experiencing H-E double hockey sticks right now in life. And guess what? Jesus is like, you really don't have to. But if you just stop kicking <laughs> against the goats. Not that life is a bed of roses when you receive Jesus, but it's so much better. So full of hope. So full of life. So full of peace within. Joy that's contagious. Somebody needs to be arrested. We're going to sing a song. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.